And it's going to be of basic familiar lesson to many of you, and maybe not so much to some of you. It was because of a couple of questions that were asked recently that I decided to try to do a couple of lessons. Maybe we can get most of this done at one time about this. There's probably a couple of lessons that should be done ahead of this one, but I didn't want to take the time to do that. But the question came in, how can I, how can I find the right church? How can I find the, the church of the Bible? What would I even look for? And that's a good question because I don't think that that's even discussed at all in modern denominationalism. That kind of subject is not understood or approached at all that way. It's like over the years, many years in teaching and preaching, when I talk with people of different denominations and I talk about that we need authority to do the things we do in the church, and, and that it's not that they disagree with that per se, they may. It's more like, what are you talking about? They have no idea what the idea of having to have authority for the things we do in worship even means. And so we're starting from a different place. That isn't said to be critical of most because the trouble is not with the the ordinary people in various denominational churches. They only know what they've been taught, but it's the lies with the people that do the teaching who have never considered this. Now, I will say this as we go through some of the, uh, let's just go to the scriptures first. Maybe I can remember to come back to that. Is it even possible in the 21st century to identify or understand what a New Testament church or a first century church would be would look like. Because we believe here that we have to recreate the New Testament church in this century. Our website is wearejustchristians.com. And we've had that now for 20 years, I guess. I don't know for sure how long. Close to that time. And that's what we do because that's the name of our radio show. We are just Christians. Because we believe and understand that we are under obligation to go back to the New Testament, to the first century, time of Jesus and the apostles, and imitate and recreate what they did at that time, because we believe the New Testament leaves us a pattern for that understanding to do, and recreate that here. Now, it can't look exactly like that, because we don't wear the same clothes, eat the same food, have the same language, have the same customs, but we can take, and God didn't include all that, He, he told us what we need to know. And then he said, preserve this for those that are coming after. We'll talk about that in a moment. But notice what this comes up this way in Matthew 16, a familiar verse to most people. They go to the Caesarea Philippi or the suburbs of Caesarea Philippi. And he said to his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. But I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That's a significant statement at at this point in Jesus' ministry. Because the church has not even been established yet, but here he's talking about it. We have some references like that that are kind of prequels to the church. But the church is in the future. How do I know the church at this point is in the future? How do I know if some people say, oh, well, they're Baptists. Well, John the Baptist started the church. The church was begun by John the Baptist. How do I know that isn't true? Well, it's because Jesus said... After John the Baptist ministry, Jesus still said, I will build my church. Still a future event. 
And it's his church. And I would think that any believer, and that includes probably most people in this audience who believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that that would be a significant thing to find out what church it is, if I can, that Jesus built, what it looks like, how it operates, how I would even recognize it. Some of those things we may not be able to do, but but the question really then is, how do I identify anything else I'm searching for? If I need to identify something, how do I find out what it is? Now, of course, I'll, I'll go back. I hardly ever talk about chickens or anything, but but uh, I can do the same thing with honeybees. But let's just give this. So I'm at the, judging the South Florida Fair yesterday or Friday down there, down in West Palm Beach. I'm judge. I judge there almost every year, and and so I'm judging, and and I look at these chickens. Like the first or second chicken I come to, and the people are with me. A few of them, and I, they see me. I think I'm shaking my head, and I'm trying to read the card. What? Do they say this chicken is? And I look at the card and I look in the cage and I go, shake my head. Okay. Because it might be in the general ballpark. It is a chicken. Okay. And it might be in a ballpark, but it is not what it says on the card. Here how, here's how that is. I have a standard that tells me what every breed of chicken should look like. It's a written standard written by knowledgeable men in the 1800s, early 1900s, what every breed of chicken should look like. It's body shape from head to tail and all the feather at what it should look like. And I'm, in my mind, I know what that standard is and I'm supposed to look at a real thing in front of me and say, is that it or is it not it? Is it close? Is it not close? Now some of them, Chickens down there were, were good for that for that purpose, and one course a couple somebody won the show, and those chickens represent their breed type, the words in the breed standard, correctly, and so I was able to identify the winners because I have a standard to look at that tells me what I should be seeing. People walk by the public says, well, "What are you even looking at?" I said, "Well, I'm." I said, "If you want to know what my favorite chicken is, it is a." Original recipe, dark meat, leg or thigh. That's my favorite chicken, okay? But that's not what we're judging today. I'm not judging them whether I think they're pretty, whether they're big or small, or whether they taste good. There's another standard being used to judge these chickens. And so if I ask you, how would I find the church of Jesus Christ today? Well, you're going to have to do the same thing. You're going to have to find a standard to find it. Now, if your standard is what your mother or father taught you or what you read somewhere or what the Pope says or whatever, you, you have a standard. If your standard is not the same as mine, we're not going to identify the same thing. Can't be. Now, without going, we can't go back and do all of this, but I would say the presupposition that I'm using and I would hope you would use it is we want to go back and use the standard that the Jesus and the apostles left us to understand what the church is and what it should be like as best we can. And keep learning about that as time goes by more and more. So we get better at this idea of identifying the church and we begin to see, well, that's not right. There were a couple of chickens there yesterday that or Friday that I had to disqualify. Uh, I, I did it nicely. I didn't even write disqualified on the card. And one one was pretty bad. I had to say, see the back. And I hope nobody in the public turns it over and reads what I wrote on the back. <laughs> but the exhibitor needed to know, this one is so far, it has a disqualification. It completely nullifies it for being in the contest. Do you think there are some churches out there 
in the world that would be completely disqualified from being considered to being the Lord's church? There, there are, aren't there? How do I know that? Because I don't like it? Or because somebody I don't like goes there? No, I have to know by what standard I'm looking at to identify what it is. So I would urge you, wherever, whether we agree today or not, I urge you to look in the New Testament to find the standard and then try to apply it properly over time to how you decide what you will give your allegiance to and what you, who you'll work with in a church. And, and, and the other question really is for a lot of people, is it even important to find the New Testament church? To most religious people in the United States, maybe around the world, it's not important at all. It isn't important. As long as they say, I love Jesus, then they're fine. There are these podcasts out there. I get snippets of them on YouTube, which is the source of all knowledge and wisdom, I understand. YouTube. And um, one of them is, is the whatever podcast it's called. And, and so it's interesting. Young guys. And um, they interview a lot of times the, the young women. And they're interviewing uh, young women that represent what they think modern women are like. And a lot of the people they're interviewing are OnlyFans models. In case you don't know what OnlyFans is, it's a, it's kind of a, uh, a do-it-yourself porn site that they, they will for money through the internet, that people pay them money and various subscriptions and then they say, would you do this for me on camera? And then they do that. Would you make this movie for me? And then I'll pay you for that. And they do this. This is, this is what they're, and, and they make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, some of them do doing this. Tens of thousands of dollars a month many of them make for this. Now I forgot where I was going with this. I've completely forgot what I was going to... It was a great illustration. Probably the best illustration I've ever thought of. And no, I can't remember. No, I, I can't remember where I was going with this. But the point is... Uh, <laughs> oh, I know what it is. So they'll, they'll ask... They'll ask the, the toast will ask one of these young ladies, well... Uh, what do you want in a husband? So she'll begin to talk about a husband and she'll say, well, I consider myself a traditional woman. The guy blinks, you know. She, uh, a traditional woman, yes. And he'll even look and they'll, they'll say, she's got there between her cleavage, she's got a nice gold cross there. And so I'm a traditional girl. I love Jesus. I, I love, you know, God. I love Jesus. And again, the host is blinking and they're not religious guys at all, but they're seeing this huge disconnect between what the person's conception of it is. And, and there's some people like that about the church. They've made up a definition or understanding in their own mind. And, and sometimes it's not even important that you find it. That would be most people's statement. We don't need that. I love Jesus and that's good enough. I don't need to go to the Bible. I don't need the Bible to find God or Jesus or the church or anything else. I just know it in my heart. Is it important? Yes. The apostles thought it was very important that we know what the standard says. In fact, if you read the New Testament, and I don't have time to look at this morning, you will see, you will see the passage that tell you this is the standard, the truth, the divine pattern. And Paul warned that after his death, wolves would enter in among the church and they would destroy it and carry it away into apostasy. Now that tells me that there was a church in the first century that was doing what the apostles wanted, that followed the apostles' teaching in Acts 2. And then later Paul says men would come along and alter that church and its teachings and teach whatever they wanted to. And that was condemned by the Bible. 
So the idea that we can just today change in any way we want to is not a scriptural idea at all. It does matter whether you find the, the New Testament church. It does matter what that church is practicing, teaching, and doing. Whatever its imperfections are. And it's important that you and believe in the concepts. So I sometimes can't defend you. If someone were to attack this church, I'll defend you a little bit. Sorry. As much as I can. But I don't have to defend you. I have to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what I have to defend. I have to defend what the apostles said. And if you you fail, or and you don't have to defend me either. I hope that you do when I'm right. But if I'm wrong, you need to correct me. Because the standard is not me or you or this church. The standard is what the scriptures say. Now, now you see the importance of the church. Why should you find it? Well, this is a longer reading, but Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3, that he had been given this grace in verse 8 to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery from the beginning of the ages which have been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now... The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. I understand that to mean that the church that Jesus Christ built composed not only of the teachings of the apostles that he gave through the Holy Spirit, but the people that God saved by that and made into the church, the people that he saved, were to show the devil and all his angels and all of God's angels, what God wanted, what God intended. The eternal purpose of God was to save from among men a righteous elect few that would obey him regardless of the circumstances that he could hold up to all these other heavenly creatures and say, see, somebody loves me that doesn't have to love me. Somebody loves me who's been through suffering. And torment on the earth, they still love me. These are mine. And that's God's eternal purpose. That's his wisdom to save those people. And that's the church. That's who the church is down through time. So it shouldn't matter to me or you. It doesn't matter to me that you all are a bunch of ragtag, fairly poor people with odd jobs, filled with problems and doubts and difficulties. Doesn't bother me at all. Because God's holding you up before the devil and all his angels saying, see, Somebody loves me and will follow me. Even though you rebelled against me, Satan, they have not. And so you are showing his manifold wisdom to important creatures in the universe by serving Christ. So don't think it's about whether the songs are off key or some other thing like that. It's about something much more important that you serve the Lord. Much more important that you follow, that you find these people that are God's elect and stay with them, encourage them. You see over in Acts chapter 20 and uh, verse 28, the church is important also because Christ shed his blood to purchase it. Now we can have a discussion as to whether the church in this passage is talking about the individuals or the group, but let me come back to that in just a moment. Notice what Paul says to these elders at Ephesus. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's what we have to shepherd. That's what elders do. And this flock is important 
God placed men with certain qualifications to guide this flock and help them to remain faithful because it's important to God. The world may say the church isn't important. We don't need a church. That You can be a Christian on your own on the beach or in the forest somewhere. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we need each other. And even if this is referring to individual people being purchased, which I think it is, those people collectively together are still the church. And he told those people, which he purchased individually with his own blood, to work and worship together and do things together to honor him. So I don't care in, in the practical terms whether this is about the universal church of individuals purchased with Christ's blood or whatever you may say. It's still about what us working together to accomplish God's will. So, so where is the church of the Bible? How can I find it and how can I be a part of it? And what you see when you look around the religious world, what is it? I've heard so many different counts about how many different denominations there are, aside from the Catholic Church in the world, Christian denominations. It's in the thousands. Thousands of different denominations. I mean, how many different churches of God in Christ are there in the United States? Just churches of God in Christ are there. Much less all the, I think there's a minimum of 25 different kinds of Baptists. There are Presbyterians, and that, when I used to preach in Tampa, right down the road from us, was the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. I thought it was because they were on Cumberland Avenue. Not true. Because now I'm a, I have a catechism in my library, a handbook of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. It's a denomination. There are Presbyterians, and there are Cumberland Presbyterians. And they're different than other Presbyterians. I didn't know that. They all have their handbooks and creed books, though, to set them apart, to show you what's different about them. So how can I find it? And what you find when you look is that many churches have some of the traits of the New Testament church. Uh, but I don't think, but, but they don't have all of them or is, at, enough in a sense to make them faithful to Christ. And we can argue about well, how many, it ta- how many does it take to make them unfaithful? What kind of traits? That's another issue. Go with me in principle now to agree that to be the true church of Jesus Christ, we need to have as many of these traits as possible. I may not even have listed in this sermon the right, all the traits or even all the right traits. I don't make no claim to that because I'm still learning and so are you. But it, it, it's not the right church unless the people have done exactly what the Bible says together and unless they are practicing together what the Bible says. It's just not the right church. And that's unfortunately what you see. What I see among my friends and neighbors literally is people that have good intentions oftentimes with regard to God and religion, but they've never really taken the time, and this may be on them as well as other people, to find out what they ought to be doing. It's much easier to go about your life and get a job and a career, marry your family, and then uh, figure out, I think I'll go to church once in a while. Well, where's the closest church? Well, it's right there. Well, I'll go there. Or my friend goes this, I'll go there. That's most people. They've not actively sought out a particular denomination to believe what it says. They go there, and if I ask them, most of the time they'll say, well, I don't know what they teach exactly. And if I'm talking to somebody and I say, well, you know, the Presbyterians generally believe this, they'll go, well, I don't believe that. Well, they also believe this. Well, I don't believe that. You'll get a whole list of them. They don't believe any of the things the Presbyterians teach when you show them the writings but they still are Presbyterian. Odd, isn't it? That just shows me that 
they haven't personally decided it's important that I find out what the church is and how I can be a part of it. And I think that's critical. And the other the thing is the churches also have to sustain God's approval. And to do that, they must continue to conform to the traits of the New Testament churches they work. Some groups of people start off and start off. And I haven't bothered to define the difference between local church and denominate. I'm mixing them up and I understand that, but I think it'll still hopefully convey the right message, but, but they change over time. If, if Martin Luther or John Calvin were resurrected today and they saw what the Lutheran churches and Calvinist churches were teaching and practicing, they would absolutely not believe it. They'd ask, can you please kill me again? They would be completely appalled at what has happened to the Presbyterian churches and to the Lutheran churches in the world. Because those churches, even if I were to grant, and I don't, but even if I were to grant that they were right when they began, have certainly drifted all the way away from that. And it's possible all the time. It happens. How do I know this? Well, go back. Go to many places in the Bible. I just told you one in Acts 20 where he said that they're going to come in and change it and fall away. But you can go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and see that he predicted a falling away that would happen. People began to teach false doctrines, warn them about that. Then go to the book of Revelation. Here's Jesus picturing these seven churches, which represent all the churches. That's why that number seven is there. And he tells them, if you don't repent, I'm going to come and remove my candlestick from among you. What does that mean? Well, it's a metaphor for you're going to, you're going to still keep meeting. You're going to still keep going along, but my approval of you as a church is going to be removed. And you might not ever know it because if you were paying attention, you already know I don't approve of these things. But Christ has his approval. He either approves of us or doesn't approve of us. I don't, how do I know? Well, I only know by what I can read in the Bible, whether he does. And so it's important that I think about that. But I do know this, that the churches that disobey him and refuse to continue to practice what the apostles taught will have their candlestick removed. So it's important that you know about that. So you need to ask yourself, am I a member of Christ's church? And I buy that by a Christ body I should have put on here. Am I, am I a part of Christ's body? Am I connected to Christ church? Or am I just a member of a church somewhere? I don't think being a member of a church is good enough. That would be my statement to you as an old gray haired man, a warning to you. Just being a member of a church is not good enough. You need to make sure that the church that you're associating with and the one that you have allegiance to and the one that you would approve of is the same one the apostles would say is right. So when was, when, let's just start at the beginning. When was this church established? Well, uh, I think the scriptures teach that it was started 50 days after the death of Jesus on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. That's where it happened. That's when the church began. And I, we could spend another lesson or two showing you the scriptures to show of the, the way it talked about these events leading up to that event. The church did not start in the days of John the Baptist. It did not start in the Old Testament as such. It did not start in the time of the popes in the 600s or beginning of that. It, it started, it didn't start when the Baptist church began, the Methodist church began, it started at this time. And we need to uh, wrestle with that. Wrestle with what that means. That's why I go back to this. Jesus did say in Matthew 16 and verse 18, I will build 
my church. Now, at that time, notice the tense of the verb now that we're back here. I know I made mentioned before, but I will build my church. When did Jesus say this? He said this toward the end of his ministry when he was still alive, maybe sometime around 80, 30. I know we lived 33 years or so, but the time is off by a year or two. So we're going to say 80, 30, 33. I'm not going to be, I can't, I can't know, so I can't quibble about it. But it certainly wasn't at before when, the, when before the time of Christ's birth. And it wasn't when he was a child. It wasn't when John the Baptist was preaching. It was here. This is still said to be at that point, at late in Christ's ministry, I will build my church. Now then you come over just a short time later. After Christ has been crucified and resurrected to Acts chapter 2, 50 days after his death, that's when Peter, through the Holy Spirit, told the people, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you and your children, and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Some versions say added to the church, but maybe the proper text is added to them. Now look at verse 47, though. Same chapter. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Is the church still a future event at that time? No, it's a present reality. So by the time you get to Acts chapter 2, at the end of the preaching, end of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, you have a present reality of the church and people being added to the church. Not a, I will build my church. And so without going into further detail for sake of time this morning, uh, and we can talk about any of these issues you'd like later if you disagree or if you just want to know more about it, of course. But some conclusions about this is that the church of Jesus Christ began in Acts chapter 2. Whatever historical date that was, that's when it began. It was approximately 30 AD or something like that. It wasn't 1500. wasn't before Christ. It was that time. It was the first day of the week. 50 days after his death, the Passover was the first day of the week. It began when men submitted to the gospel by repentance and baptism. That's the beginning of it. I got a whole series of sermons on recreating the New Testament church. One of the myths of the church can't begin until men repent and they're baptized. You know, there's a whole sequence of events that have to happen before you have a church. The churches that were established at other times in other places or by different means are not the New Testament church. I can guarantee you that the Mormon church, just to use an example that probably everybody here agrees with, so we're all on the same page, that was begun by Joseph Smith in the 1800s in New York by finding supposedly finding some golden tablets under a rock and then taking those and putting on a visor and translating them and so forth, that that church is not the New Testament church because it was not established the time of the apostles in Acts chapter 2, the time of the preaching of the apostles. Established by a man 1,800 years later. Now it's called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because it came later, okay, and so you'll see a sign once in a while. I got a picture up North Florida. You'll see a sign. Church of Jesus Christ in error, two miles. I'm, I'm good with the sign. I love the sign. Because I want to be a part of the Church of Jesus Christ. But not of Latter-day Saints. Established in the 1800s. Because it isn't the right time, right church. Can never be. Unless it repents of that whole error and goes back to the New Testament. You see, because of that basic error. 
Now, some other things, and our time is slipping away. I'm on slide 15 of 32. So you see this isn't going to work today. It just now dawned on me it's not going to work today. But let's just talk about this one real quick. And I know I'm beating you to death, but I want to get some principles there. How, how was the church organized that you see? Now, when I say the church here, I'm talking about a local body of people. When I say use, when I use the word church here, I'm using it as a body of people in the locale. Guess what most people say? When they talk about it, finding a church, they mean driving down the road and seeing a church. We have a lot of people. God blesses us almost every single week since we've been in this building. I think we built this building in 2004. Almost every single Lord's Day, there are people that live in this area come in here and sit down and, and go through the service with us. Not all the time, but vast majority of the time. That's a great blessing from God. And what they will tell me on the visitor's cards, if they leave one, saw building. That's the number one thing that's checked. I got a list of check, list of check boxes. Saw the building. Or found me on the internet. But the saw the building tells me they drove by and saw the signs. Well, that looks like a nice church. I think I'll go there. Nothing wrong with that. My point is, what are they thinking when they come in? They should be thinking, what does the Bible say? And let me compare that to what I hear and see here, you see. And the church, this local church is not just completely disorganized. Now, there's a way the word church is used to mean all the saints of all time. And that only has a simple organization. Christ is head and that's the end of it. There's no other organization. All of us are simply uh, members of that as it were. Well, first, Christ is the only head of the church. We know this, whether it's the universal church or the local church. Because the scriptures say very clearly in Ephesians 1 that he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and all that all things he might have the preeminence. The Catholic church has the pope as the head. That's how this discussed. Other churches are headed by Mary Baker Eddy or somebody like that. Okay, Joseph Smith initially. But not the New Testament church. So if you've got a church that's putting out that they have a head and have a headquarters and have a have an executive director or a chief archbishop, the, the Eastern Orthodox Church has the Sorry to say Archduke, that's something in England probably, but uh, they have the patriarch of the Eastern Orthodox Church parallel to the Western Orthodox Church, which is the Catholic Church. They have a parallel head. Those churches have a head. There's only one head, Jesus Christ. Any man who claims to be the head of the church of Jesus Christ is not telling you the truth. It's only one. And he put, and that Ephesians 1 says, he put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. And so God gave elders this local responsibility. In Acts 20, 28, take heed to your, he's speaking to a group of elders, it says, when you look at the context, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. First Peter 5, Peter says that you shepherd the church which is among you, as it were. And so here is the same thing, this flock. Not all the, Gary and I are elders and shepherds in this flock, this church, not other churches everywhere. There's no head elder. There's no head in this, in a city, no archbishop, nothing like that. And we can go into great detail about all those things. But in any event, that's one way, I think kind of right away that you can tell that something is amiss. And here, this other scripture in Philippians one, and we'll close with this. Paul talks about 
these bond servants, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So now you have a little addition. You have bishops, deacons, and saints in a church. For those who aren't familiar, this is just said in the observation. Well, that's what we have in this church. We have elders or bishops. We have deacons and we have saints. We don't have subdeacons and archdeacons. We don't have a chief elder or a ruler or a head pastor, any of those things. We have elders who are pastors and, and deacons who are servants. Why, why do we have, why do we do it that way? Because we're backward primitivists, too ignorant to know that you could have all these different organs. No, we have it that way because of this scripture right here that you're looking at. That's why it's like this. And the question will be over time, will we remain faithful to this text that we can read with our own eyes? Or will we decide that we really need a chief elder here? That would help us a lot, have chief elders. And a lot of churches of Christ are doing this even. They've got elder, chairman of the elders. They've got chief elders. I've got letters from them in my files. I don't think that's holding fast to the pattern. All right, time is gone this morning. We'll not belabor you with any more. But I do want you to understand that principle of how, why you should care about what the church looks like and identify it and how you begin to go about doing that and get that idea in your heart. When I'm trying to teach somebody that I meet out in the community or friends, I try to start with getting them to understand, first of all, do you care about what the New Testament says? Will you go to there for the answer? So we, in many different ways that we talk, I'm trying to emphasize that to get them on their own to understand you need to look to the New Testament to find the answer. And oftentimes they'll come back to me later and they'll say, well, uh, what's the Bible say about this? What's the Bible say about that? Now that's a big change for many people from when I first met them. A huge change. One that's got them on the right path. And same thing is true about finding a church. We're going to sing here this song that Joel has selected as a closing hymn. Uh, number 179, God is calling the prodigal. And we'd give you this opportunity today to come to the front if we can pray with you about a sin that you want to repent of or let the church know about or something we can help you with, some difficulty. We'd give you this opportunity if you want to be baptized into Christ this morning. Everything is ready. You don't need clothes. You don't need any towels. You don't need anything to be baptized. You just need a willing heart that's willing to believe in Christ and repent. So can we help you today? If so, come to the front right now. Let's stand and sing.